0: You need Indeed.
1: Player skill versus projectable volume as it relates to ADP. That will be our topic this week. The first week of the new Stealing Bananas podcast. I'm Ben Gretsch. You guys might remember me around the road of his parts. I, I'm the stealing side of the Stealing Banana's name from Stealing Signals, my, my in-season column, which leaves obviously the banana side, Mr. Money in the Banana Stand himself. The the analyst that I think is more responsible for, for more of the current way that the entire industry thinks about fantasy football than probably any other, I would argue that. You can kind of trace back a lot of the things that we sort of learn as an industry to usually to, to someone's breakthrough at some point, and and Sean has had so many of these breakthroughs over the years from Zero RB to uh, prospect stuff to some great best ball stuff in recent years and so many more. If you don't realize how much of an influence he's had, it's because he's also the humblest guy in the fantasy industry, so I I need to talk him up a little bit. It's Sean Siegel. We're very excited to be doing this new podcast, and Sean, I, I'm thrilled to be doing it with you. How are you doing?
2: Great. This, this is really exciting. Those were some very nice words. I think people... Uh, who have been listening to over Overtime, who read Rotoviz, know how excited we are to have Ben uh, back on Rotoviz Radio and doing this show with us. Uh, one of, if not the person who is most associated in the industry with advanced stats, with helping you interpret those stats, with allowing you to understand what's happened the previous week and how that will influence the following week to help you with your DFS lineups, with your betting Uh, making those best start-sit decisions, and just understanding both football and fantasy football. And then he's fantastic on the radio for those of you who uh, were with us back when he used to be on. Uh, He was someone who, when CBS had him, he was highly in demand. Fans loved him on that podcast. Obviously, the other things he's doing right now with
1: ship chasing, Yeah, <laughs> I should have known if I talked you up that you would you would just return to the favor. Yeah, bit. so
2: we, we enjoy each other. We're glad uh, that we can do this pod together and go through a lot of different concepts, go through player value, how we draft, why we draft the guys that we do. And one of the great ideas that Ben had right off the bat was to start these episodes with a question. And theme one of the things that we're going to try and do uh during the course of the show is we're going to have concept episodes we're going to have player selection episodes people always want to know who to pick and debating players is one of the most fun things if not the pivotal element of fantasy football and then when we have a chance we're going to bring on some of our favorite guests to uh sort of enliven and to bring another perspective to some of these questions we're asking so today the initial episode we're going to go through uh, really a very small part of this question that Ben has brought up. Uh, ben, someone who does excellent projections, has a, a great understanding of how you do projections, what stats translate to the next year, uh, what we need to know foundationally about players in order to project them within their offense, You know, understands the different offenses. And so I, I think within that framework, Ben, what are the, some of the things that we are wanting to look at, and what are some of the interesting questions that you have in terms of projections, how we do them, how useful they are, and then getting back to your question of player skill and if that is over or undervalued in terms of how people do projections today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and we'll get right to that. I I do just want to reinforce um, what you were just saying, sort of the structure of our new podcast. We're going to be doing a couple shows a week, three. Um, and we're going to kind of stick to a, a theme for, for that week. So this week we're, we're looking at that question at the top, uh, player skill versus projectable volume. And as Sean said that the first episode, today's episode will be, um, largely focused on the bigger picture. And then we're going to, in the second episode, each week, go into the more actionable player specific things. And then the third episode will be, somewhat of a wild card, but often we'll, we'll, we'll include a guest. And we have an awesome guest on later this week to dive into this. I'm super excited to get his takes. It's Evan Silva, uh, just another heavyweight. The fact that I'm going to be getting a chance to chat with both Silva and yourself at the same time is uh, is kind of a pinch myself kind of moment. So that'll be a lot of fun later on in the week. But we're going to start with sort of the big picture stuff. And the reason I, I I mentioned this topic to you is it's something I've picked up from you is that you you tend to be willing to consider player skill more you can't tend to be willing to um look at efficiency more deeply and not just try to regress it out which is um i think something that everyone who who does projections has to to grapple with how much they're going to regress efficiency and all these different stats um and i think you can fall into a trap of just um you know believing that that you should regress it uh regress everybody a little bit too far and and sort of um not giving enough credit for the different skill levels at the NFL level. And it's interesting when I talked to you about this and I floated this idea, what I was thinking was um, this idea that 20 years ago, I, you know, I started playing fantasy in 1999 and in, in, in the two thousands um, players, we, we just sort of drafted players and, and players were recommended based on essentially just like how good they seemed, how good they were, um, you know, maybe I'm overstating that a little bit, but regression wasn't a huge thing. I don't even know how much progre- uh, projections were, you know, universally a huge thing. There were projections at, at certain websites, but they weren't such a heavy, heavy driver of draft trends. Um, and the example I, I was giving you, cause everything is going to come back to AJ Brown the entire time we do this podcast. But last year with AJ Brown, he was coming off a rookie season that he closed once he became the starter in about week nine, week 10, he closes the wide receiver six, the rest of that year. And the following year, the early, early drafts, he was going late first, early second. People were drafting like that. They were drafting like this guy is young. He's a star. He had an amazing prospect profile. He played like a star down the stretch. But by August, he was a fourth round pick. And the general line and the line from a lot of people who were doing projections was you couldn't draft him in the fourth round because you couldn't project him for enough targets. Not in that Tennessee offense, which had been pretty dang low volume the previous two years under 450 attempts, two of the only four seasons since 2014 going into last year that had been under uh, 450 attempts for on a team level in, in that stretch. And so they were back to back years, very low, low passing volume. And there was this heavy concern. And if you're projecting them, it was really hard to to really raise their pass attempts a ton. And there was this heavy concern that he wouldn't get enough volume. and And so he couldn't return value in the fourth round was sort of the, sort of the line. And it, it, it's an interesting thought because the, the way that I, that I envisioned it last year, and I, I kind of had to fight this battle a lot cause I was very excited about AJ Brown was that back in 2000 or 2005, a player like AJ Brown, you would just take in the second round coming off that end of his rookie season. He was so good, but regression and, and, and understanding that efficiency isn't sticky year over year. And there's reasons that we should be wary of it has taken such a foothold in the industry over so many years that now it is baked into ADP such that Brown was going in the fourth round. He was already getting hit pretty heavily, already being regressed pretty heavily. And then even still people didn't want to pay for, for the potential upside because his projection put him as a fifth round value. And so there's so many overlapping, you know, things we could talk about with that. Um, As Sean said, there's more than we're going to be able to get to in, in these episodes on this topic but I, I think it's a really interesting topic and it's one that um, I wanted to obviously talk with you about. And, and, and then Silva's another one, I, I am so super excited to get his thoughts about, because something I've noticed from both of you um, and, and I'll ask you here specifically is that you tend to be more mm-hmm. aware of player skill. You tend to be more aware of efficiency. And so how much of an edge do you think it is that, that the market sort of has shifted um, such that that player skill almost becomes an afterthought and projections and where we can project guys and what their projected line looks like becomes such a huge driver of ADP.
2: Yeah, I think that there's potentially a big exploitable a big exploitable opportunity here perhaps to the extent where it's the whole ball game. Right? When you and I were, were sort of chatting about this on the phone, you were saying, you know, make sure you make that comment in terms of thinking about this though what are the different elements of player skill we're looking at? Is it a matter of not taking skill into account, talent level into account, or is it a matter of being too narrow in terms of how we're looking at projections? So when I look at these wide receivers, one of the things that's interesting is that we know several things are going on. First of all, their collegiate profile still plays a big role in terms of how we can project them accurately to year two. So if we're looking only at targets within an offense, and efficiency within an offense, we may be missing this element of player talent or player skill to where we would expect a big jump in a way that we might not otherwise. Now, Blair Andrews, who we're going to mention a lot on the show because he is one of my favorite analysts and writes this column, The Wrong Read for Rotovis, that I really think is, is perhaps the best in the industry. Now, I'm biased, but if you haven't seen Blair's work, make sure You check that out. One of the things that he talks a lot in The Wrong Read, talks about, is this idea that from year one to year two really is the only time that we see players take a step forward in terms of volume in a big way. And that can be hard to to really conceptualize because we think of, okay, well, these are good players, right? So a star could take a step forward at any point. A second-year player going into year three, they could still take a step forward. That kind of thing does happen. But when we average everything out and we consider that one of the things that regression does tell us is that people are going to back off of these big seasons, right? So when we look at the group as a whole, we see people losing volume really in any other year when we talk about it as a full group. And yet these guys going into year two, they're able to buck that trend even as an average, even as a group, because that's when people do take a step forward. Now, part of that is intuitive and that we do know about these breakouts that happen, but if we're looking at year two guys the same way that we look at everybody else, we're missing something. If we're not taking collegiate performance into account, we're missing something. And then you mentioned efficiency. And there are some cool things that Blair has done with efficiency in the wrong read as well, specifically talking about it in terms of fantasy points over expectation, which is a road of his metric that uh, the fantasy dude Frank DuPont originally put together. You know, We'd love to still mention him and, and some of the things that he's done. And one of the things that basically tells us is how many points over what they would be expected to score based on volume has someone done as a fantasy player, it directly translates that efficiency into fantasy points. Now, part of what we're looking at here when we look at sort of end of the year numbers is a stat that's both efficiency and volume because when you're looking at total fantasy points over expectation, it has both elements, right? And when you put both elements together, then it does give you some information that is valuable in a lot of different contexts. And I think one of those contexts does come back to this idea of talent, of skill. And so we do have some windows into this talent skill element of a player that's more than just the idea of watching them on TV or being at the stadium and thinking, well, that guy really flashes. He looks really good, right? So there's some evidence-based elements here that we can look at and talk about in terms of talent that maybe do give us some insights that aren't fully accounted for in projections, and yet sometimes you'll talk to people and you'll say well, are there differences between your projections and your rankings and you know, you'll know, you get that kind of twinkle in the eye and the person will be like, well, you know, I like this guy's upside and I don't have him projected that high, but I have him ranked higher. Is there a mistake that we're making in terms of our projections if we don't believe that they go directly into rankings or Going back to this idea of talent skill, do you think people are ignoring the that part of it, or they're simply doing their projections incorrectly?
1: Yeah, I think I don't think it's necessarily doing projections incorrectly. Um, but projections as a process, it's a very lengthy process. You have to make a lot of assumptions. Um, and ultimately, in a lot of ways, it it comes down to making a decision about what stats and trends you want to believe whether it's team level, whether it's, you know, player trajectory, um, you have to take sort of stances and you make a lot of those just to do one team. Um, and, and so it, it almost becomes so many small decisions that it, it, I think that, that sometimes it's hard to recognize how easy it is to, to make mistakes and not, and not even to make mistakes because the biggest thing that we know is the NFL is chaotic because, uh, that there's going to be probably a third of the league. I've looked at some of my past projections and there's maybe uh, any given year, a third of the league that I, I missed on heavily from a team um, volume perspective from a team uh, like success perspective uh, that dramatically shifted their trends, their play volume, their run pass split. And and it was in a way that like you, you couldn't really foresee it. In some, some cases, maybe I could foresee it, but I I didn't move the projection that, that, that direction far enough because it's, it's pretty hard to, to project something really um, unique, but we see unique things every single year. And so what happens when you do these projections, you wind up with a final result. You make all of these little decisions, and any one of them could, could be, make a huge difference in your end result. And then you come to this final number. And because you come to this final number, it's easy to think, you know, to just compare them, all the different players. Uh, it's easy to think that it's a little bit more exact than it is. It's a little bit more precise than it really is. Because... In a lot of cases, it's you, you've made so many assumptions that it's not actually that precise of a of a of a result. You, you've um, you've stuck a number to something. It's one potential outcome. We like to say that typically projections are the baseline outcome or the most likely outcome. But in a lot of scenarios, it's not even for for a lot of teams. There's so many potential outcomes the way that their season could go. There's so little that we know. I mean, think about teams that have coaching staff changes and major player changes all the way across the board. The Jets are a team this year, the the Jaguars, you know, they have rookie quarterbacks, new coaches, Um, nothing in their, in their past trends has to be predictive. Nothing in the past trends of, of the coaches that are taking over has to be predictive. We don't really know (laughs) is is ultimately the reality. We don't know how good those rookie quarterbacks are going to assimilate immediately. We don't know how much worse situations impacted the players that are already on the roster, whether that's, you know, Denzel Mims or Lavisca Chenault, two second-year receivers that had disappointing year ones on those rosters. We don't know how much of it was them being poor and how much of it was was the offense. And so there's such a wide range on some of these teams. First of all, that when you project something, you're you're sort of just making something up. And it's it, it, to me, it makes a lot more sense to talk about the things that you just talked about these broad level trends, these year two um, bumps, these types of things that um, while they seem less precise because they're just sort of you know this broad view on player skill, they actually do a better job, I think, of of, of being robust to the, the whole entire range of potential outcomes, the, the entire range of, of things that could happen. If we think very positively about LaVisca Chenault as a player in his career, we can be happy whether he looks great in a projection or not to draft him and think that there's a lot of scenarios that, that Jacksonville's offense could play out this season in a way where we didn't really see it coming, but Chenault would benefit, or he would be a part of the reason that it went positively, or even if it goes negatively, that, that he could still be successful. So it's, it, it, it it seems less exact. (laughs) And then I think that's why everyone is drawn to projections. It seems more exact. It seems like we're putting this more direct number on it. We're, we're projecting fantasy points at the end of the year, but the reality is projections aren't accurate. The, The very best projections are they have R-squareds at the end of the year in these projection contests of like 0. 0.65 or something like that, which means, you know, a third of the, of the variance is unexplained. And, and we already have a pretty good idea of who's going to start in those things. So,
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
2: Well, even in most circumstances, too, a lot of the accurate element of it is just predicting that a lot of players are not going to score many points. When you yeah. get into this range where people are actually scoring in a meaningful way, we're even less accurate. And, and just you know, to mention Larry, I mean, he's got a, a wrong read looking at how both expert projections, and we're talking about people who are very, very skilled and experienced and talented in putting projections together, and then ADP, so the market, right, where we're kind of reflecting some of those projections, are incredibly inaccurate and a lot of that in the nfl is due to injuries but then a lot of it is due to to this element where it's difficult to predict the future and so then when you're looking at projections and then adp and then players are actually going to draft and this idea of talent and does that come into play what's the relationship there in terms of your process for actually creating a draft board that you would use
1: to make selections, how do projections weigh in? Well, projections are a process I'm working through mine right now that I do. And this is an evolving thing. Uh, but at this stage, for me, it's almost an excuse to dig deep into every team, to dig deep into the trends, to dig deep into the player stats, and to start developing some takes about who I think is better than who. Who I think has the potential to um, to outperform. Who I already know, you know, a, a pretty good idea of where ADP is, and so I can start to already sort of formulate my takes against the market um, and what good bets are. And 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 you know, something you told me a long, long time ago is we want to be making bets that are either little misses or big wins. And that was AJ Brown last year. I mean, people were projecting him. Uh, and, and then that result, and, and and so you know, there's a lot of reasons we could get into why projections can be faulty, but one of the things is you project him and you say, Oh, he comes out as a round five value, he comes out as my wide receiver, whatever. He's going as the wide receiver this, he's going too high. Those are not directly comparable things. One one projection should not be directly compared to ADP because ADP weighs in an entire range of outcomes, it weighs in a lot more elements that you don't need to project a player at that level to justify drafting him at that level. And I think that's something that's like massively missed. And so when I get done with my projections and I look at it, I don't, I don't sit and and, and go, Oh, this guy's my wide receiver 30. I can't draft draft him any higher than wide receiver 30. That is not at all the way, in my opinion, to use projections. And I think um, that's a big reason we talk about how project, you know, a lot of people say that caveat, my projections aren't my rankings. Um, and, and it's smart to say that, but it, you should you should almost not use your, your projections for your rankings at all. I, I think the end result is one data point. And for me, I, I do look at where guys come out and I look at the assumptions that I made and I say, do I really believe these? Because this is this is surprising to me that this guy came out as wide receiver 30, he's going wide receiver 15. Do I really believe that this is all that he has in there? And I go, I go look back at the numbers. And I say, How big is the error bar on, on this projection? How how confident am I on this projection? is this really a guy that I, I don't see a lot of scenarios where he um, outperforms his ADP and that I really don't want any exposure to him. Um, but otherwise I'm, I'm seeing that a lot of guys are coming in around where they're being drafted. And then there's guys that, um, you know, I, I'm learning some things about, I'm learning stats about, I'm learning things through the process. And, and I think that's, sort of the way that I use it. It's not, because um, like I, I, I've given up on, on believing that my, especially team assumptions, team level assumptions are going to be accurate because teams are way different. Every year we see teams come up and be, you know, be great. And they weren't necessarily the year before and, or or completely fall off. And a lot of times that's due to a significant injury, like you said. So that stuff changes play volume and, and run pass splits so much that it has a massive impact on 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 your whether your projections are even going to be accurate and you mentioned the value of going
2: through the projections the value of going through the process learning about the players for me that's really where projections pay off is that you gain this familiarity with teams that you wouldn't otherwise have and i think that that sometimes allows me to understand scenarios within the team that i might not have understood and tweak some things with the rankings we talk a lot about scenario-based drafting, and that's really the way that I go about it. But I want, after the break, I want to ask you about value-based drafting versus scenario-based drafting, how that works into projections, and how we can use that in our drafts. So one of my favorite tools on the RotoViz website is the projection machine. We've had several really talented uh, programmers and analysts work on this from Mike Beers to Dave Cabin. And You can go in you can look at all of the historical information for players within a team within an offensive coordinator a head coach look at them back several years you get a little more of a sense of what seasons are true outlier seasons that we want to remember those do happen but we need to back off of those and see this is the more usual type of season for a player of this volume level this talent level this role within the offense you can go through all the teams and work through your projections. You can get to the end of the project and have this sheet of projections. And one of the things that I find when I do this is every once in a while, there'll be a handful of players who their projection then doesn't really fit within where I have them ranked. And so then the question is, what do we do with that, right? And so we have a variety of ways that we can sort of approach value within fantasy drafts. Value-based drafting, obviously you take this number that you've created, whether it's your most likely projection or sort of the averaging of a group of most likely projections. And then you look at that relative to replacement value. You assign a number, you rank the players uh, in that order. Basically within the format that you're playing, the format's going to make a difference. Another way to do it, which obviously does incorporate some elements of value-based drafting. So if we say we don't like value-based drafting, that doesn't mean that we're not using it or that that doesn't come into play that we don't understand the the benefits or the important parts of that. But we look at scenarios for different players. And I think this goes back to this idea of player talent. And if we are factoring that in, in terms of the potential blow up players who might be league winners. Now everybody wants to draft and, and maybe almost exclusively own league winners, but finding them is sort of a different question than wanting them. So take me back to this idea of, okay, we have, value-based drafting versus scenario-based drafting, which really is going to look at a lot of different ways a season can play out and say, I think that there are some scenarios in which this player beats ADP in a way that changes my team such that I would want them over a player who maybe has a better VBD score based on these projections I've done. So we have that element. And then uh, sort of I want to ask you about that within the context of this idea of, if I have five guys who really jump out as having a value over replacement where I should move them up my rankings. Is it a matter of did I do the projections incorrectly and I need to go back and look at my understanding of that team or do I need to move those players up because I didn't have them high enough originally, you know, or obviously some combination of the two.
1: I see and I don't I don't even essentially don't even ask those questions anymore Um, because one of the, one of the things that I kind of alluded to earlier was this idea that there's like wider error bars for different teams, and so it's like you you could have done it correctly because you got it as close as possible for that given team, but like there's some teams that you feel confident about your projections, there's some teams that you don't, and so it's, it it is it's not even an apples to apples comparison when you come out with a projection from a you know, a complete unknown team like the Jets or Jaguars I referenced earlier to a team that's that's been stable for a few years, say like a you know a Chiefs player, we have a pretty good idea of what the Chiefs are going to look like. I like, I don't even know how I could come at this point, this, you know, this is something that's developed for me over years, but I don't know how my end result projection numbers are relevant between those two different players, and those two different offenses. It's, it's my sort of most likely scenario for both, but the the error bars and the range of outcomes, I feel a lot easier defining for the chiefs, Uh, you know, for, for a Jaguars player, a jets player, I feel less, a lot less confident, because of that, like the, the, you like that number almost doesn't matter for for some of those players. So when I when I see those edges like you were talking about value-based drafting, which is you know kind of taking these projections, comparing them, you know, against some type of baseline uh at a position and, and seeing how much value they're providing. Um, or this scenario-based, and that's where I've trended is just more towards just scenario-based drafting. And we do know that that league winners, you know, are are called out for a reason that in fantasy leagues, uh, you're not winning your leagues based on a bunch of small improvements all throughout your draft. That's something I used to think was the case. I used to try to make a lot of small wins all throughout my draft, but you don't stack small wins and then build a, a dominant team in fantasy. You hit on you know, massively outperforming players, and the reality is you, you, you should recognize that the team you draft is going to change a ton by the end of the season, and so when you miss on some of those swings as well, as long as you're playing the waiver wire, as long as you're, you know, managing your team well, you can fill holes. The, the key is finding huge pieces. And and again, w- you know, we'll talk you through this throughout the year in, in ways that you can find the other pieces to, to buttress that. But you, you're you going to find ways to to fill out the rest of your roster. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's sort of an upside is everything mentality. But the scenario base, the, the larger, the, the bigger picture... Like these are the guys that can be league winners. These are the guys we should be hunting from a structural perspective, from a player perspective and all the way down is like, I, I I'm, there's nothing I'm doing with my projections. that's going to override those things that those are the things I want to be thinking about when I'm drafting.
2: One of the things I have to admit is that last year and last year was one of my more successful seasons. I actually didn't do projections. Now We have a lot of great projections on the site. Dave does fantastic projections. I'll do things with the projection machine. We've got a couple of other tools that really come into play in a big way for me. One is the range of outcomes, which is a tool Dave's put together where you have historical player matches, and then you see how those players performed in the following season and the range of outcomes in terms of how they performed. So that gives you, I think, a more concrete way to look at how this type of player is likely to play in the following season. I take that pretty seriously, and it factors into some of the things that we do with structural drafting that we'll talk about here in a little bit. We also have Blair's win the flex tool, which is named that way because we always talk about how you win your fantasy leagues by winning the race to fill the flex and building the team that has the most points uh, reflected in the way that you drafted it and that starting lineup, those backups who are going to be competing for those flex positions. Essentially what the tool does is it takes ADP and helps you see by position how players have scored. So it's the points implied by ADP and being able to assign those to some players. Again, an exercise that gives you a sense of how people have scored in the past and what they're likely to do in the future. And then with these variety of tools, essentially what I have done in drafts, and this is something that allows you, I think, to emphasize and make sure that you are getting value as well. You're not taking your own rankings or your own projections and being so confident in them, even if you're very good at selecting players and saying, okay, I'm gonna take these guys sort of wherever. You're trying to get the most value. You do create a little bit of diversification across your portfolio by going through, looking at ADP, and then where players are going in drafts. You look at that round and you say, basically ask the question, is this player, Likely to, or does he have a lot of scenarios in which he absolutely destroys ADP? And then those are the only players who are really on my board. And as the draft goes along, I try and get the best guys
1: from that round who are still available. And I think that's something I I've I picked up from you. We we've managed teams together for a few years, but that was something I was thinking as you were talking earlier about this, you know, value-based drafting and everything, which sort of assigns a value to every player. Something I've been told recently from people that I've managed with over the last couple of years is that my player pool is, is very small. There's a lot of players that I, I just don't even really consider. And, you know, I've, I've thought about that because one thing we, we want to do is, is not try to be too exact because we know the NFL is chaotic and, and there's obviously new trends emerging at all times. There might be things we're missing. We don't necessarily want to have all of our eggs in one basket. We don't want to be too confident in all of our takes that we're not willing to, adjust to you know potential value in in drafts or what have you having said that when i heard that point my immediate thought was sort of like good (laughs) like I, i that actually is something that i'm happy to hear that i think that's something i struggled with earlier in my fantasy career and over the last several years recognizing that um when there were uh you know key key spots that i thought there was a lot of value in drafts whether it be by an individual player or a group of players at a certain position um, in individual years, how I wanted to approach drafts and, and where I wanted to hit it at, at these different spots. And, f- and for these different reasons, you know, that is going to naturally shrink down your pool of, of targets. And I don't think that's a bad thing. And then that's something you just mentioned as well. And I think that's sort of where we wind up leading ourselves. is like, we, we wind up with targets. We don't wind up, um, sort of what this unknown of the entire league and we want to just make small wins all across uh, all across a draft we, we know where we want to target players in, in different areas based on what they're valued at, you know sort of irrespective of what their uh, of what their you know projection might might say.
2: One of the questions I would have for you in terms of rankings and then building a board and how you also, Uh, Reflect some of that to your readers in Stealing Signals. One of the things that I find, just like you said, is there are actually a very small pool of players that I draft every year. Because once you ask that question of, do I think this player can destroy ADP? And a couple other ways to frame that question, if that specific question isn't helpful to you, would be to ask, what do I think the mid-season draft is going to look like? And, And we had an interesting discussion, I think, uh, at one point last year where you guys were showing me some of the midseason drafts you were doing and the the main thing that jumped out was these midseason drafts are so close to what we tell people to do structurally so it's like you should not be waiting until midseason to draft the right style of team right so you can ask yourself that question the other question you can just ask is what do I think the the first round or the first four rounds is going to look like next year because I think that there's this tendency, To think in terms of, okay, well, we know running backs don't hold their value very well. We know that the number of impact wide receivers is going to be less than this idea of the position being incredibly deep. We know that the impact tight ends are going to tilt field position or are going to tilt um, weekly fantasy scoring. But we're reluctant to think that it's going to happen this season or the first four weeks. We want to get off to a fast start. No one wants to be 0-4 and and say, oh, I've got this great zero running back team or single elite running back team, and you know, in six months we'll be awesome, but you're going to lose. I think that that mentality can trap people into not realizing that what you want from your team is to draft the guys who are going to be first-round picks or second-round picks next year because what that tells you is that they outperformed and they crushed ADP this year. Right? So there are a variety of ways that we can sort of frame the question for ourselves that to help get to what we think we should be drafting Now It doesn't mean we're always going to be right. I mean we've all had seasons where that small player, uh, that small pool of players didn't have enough firepower in it in the end to you know win you know huge money titles. You're not necessarily always going to be right even with some of those things, but you do put together teams that are much stronger. And I always have people ask, well, You know, how do you avoid the bottom? I mean, if you draft correctly from a structural perspective, then, you know, almost your worst case is finishing in the middle. That's not your goal, but you don't have to worry about embarrassment or like, how do I stay out of the cellar? That just, it doesn't work that way because you're drafting so much more value. But kind of circling back around to my question for you, if we have just a handful of players at any particular point in the draft, we feel comfortable selecting how do you put together rankings for your readers that incorporate all of the rest of these players? Because one of the things that I find, and again, my rankings do look a lot more like what that midseason draft turns out to be, but at the same time, you've got all of these players who are going to potentially fall. Like I was in a draft uh, last week with Zachary Kruger where, you know, Nick Chubb and Joe Mixon fell to the two, three turn. And if we're thinking just specifically by, ADP, I and mean, those seem like home run values, but by my rankings, they're really not still. So how, how do you incorporate in all of the rest of these guys? Do you need to incorporate them in? Are analysts doing a disservice to their readers in some ways, even by having rankings, if they encourage people to catch some of these dropping players who they really don't want on their teams?
1: Yeah, that last question is a really interesting one. And I think we'll save that probably for for our next episode where we get a little bit more into player-specific stuff and draft-specific stuff. But it is really interesting to think about um, the effect of rankings on a draft structure, on a draft strategy. I, I, I don't draft off my... I make rankings, I don't draft off them. I mean, I very rarely take the next best player on my rankings. It's sort of something where um, as I'm you know building a team... I have to weigh several factors what what my team structure already looks like what type of player I'm looking at I'm at times considering you know my exposures and things like that but I think it's I think it's a very interesting and a very interesting point that that we should we should dive into more on the next episode later on this week what do you think
2: Yeah so with that we've completed the debut episode of stealing bananas and again We're excited to have Evan on, it's gonna be fantastic. We're gonna talk about some players within the context of this topic in episode two. Uh, Come back and, and check out the next one.